navigate because then what happens is the world around you keeps going right it's going to keep moving your your job's still going to have responsibility so you, it's not like you get like a, a maternity leave there's no maternity mm. leave for miscarriages so you mm. you then you have to go back to reality and normal day to day but your world is not the same so how do you begin to to navigate that and start to heal from there um so for me i feel that um i was lucky in the sense to say um i was not expected to be back at work mm. the next day mm. you know my manager was like you know what take all the time that you need mm. to deal with this and to process this mm. how all these HR stuff, how we deal with the leave and stuff, I'll see how I deal with it, mm. you know, mm. just take that time and deal with it. And um, I think as well, because of my husband's job, I mean, mm. he was given a few days off, I think mm. two days or something by his manager, but mm. he had to leave. And then I was there alone with my thoughts now I'm starting to process because I mean before I was just going through the motions you mm, know mm. um I was there with my thoughts and I'm starting to process everything that happened and I remember my dad called me and he said come back home mm. you can't be alone mm. so just come back home leave everything in Joburg mm. and I'll be there Mm. right mm. um I won't talk to you if you don't want to talk to me um mm. you know the house is big anyway mm. so you can avoid each other <laughs> yeah and you can be by yourself or whatnot but I he was like I feel like you need to remove yourself from that environment that you're in mm. so um anyway I took the drive mm. and um I went back home um and I just sit there, you know, um, going through the motions mm. of um, what had happened. I was trying to reconcile, you know, mm. like what went wrong? Did I mm. do something that I shouldn't have done? You mm. know, could I have noticed this earlier? Uh, if only I hadn't gone to that uh, convention that I went to, mm. should have just come back straight home or whatnot. And, you know, but all the test results um, that I took, I didn't have an infection. You know, mm. doctor mm. said everything was going okay. You know, what is happening? Because at that moment in time, I was trying to find out what caused this, you know, why, yes. Mm. yes. Mm. You know, trying to, I don't know if it's to, at least if I know something, then I can blame that, you mm. know, but then mm. I realized that there were so many elements that were going on, mm. you know, I won't be able to pinpoint why it A happened. singular reason. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, I think I just need to accept that sometimes these things do happen and 
unfortunately at this point in time it happened to me Mm, mm. you know and now you just need to find a way of how you are going to process what you're going through Mm. and how you are going to get back to life because life is unfortunately life will go on eh? Mm, if mm. no matter what you're going through eventually you will have to go back to work you know you will mm. have to face people mm. or whatnot eventually i mean you were starting to show um mm. <laughs> people are gonna ask questions you're going mm. to have to answer those questions mm. you know so i guess it was just at that moment in time preparing my state of mind as to when I do go back to reality, because right now I'm not in reality, mm, mm. how am I going to process everything and how am I going to deal with? The thing was not emotion. For me, it was the people. Mm. How am I going to deal with the people? Mm. Either asking so many personal questions mm. or either acting weird and not mm. knowing what to say, mm. you know? And um, I think I also, I went on Facebook and there was also like support groups um, mm. for, for moms who've been through this. Mm. And I joined one of the support groups and um, I shared my story and um, people were very comforting, you know, when you, mm. it's, it's, it's always better in a way when you're talking to somebody who can relate and who's been through the same thing, because then you're both on the same page. Mm, you know. mm. there's no so, explanations um, necessary or yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, I got some comfort mm. in that mm. yeah okay um so I think then we can segue into um you touched on this so we're gonna segue into two elements but we'll start with the shame right and the paranoia and guilt, and then the blame. And then of course, then the self-imposed expectations. So you said like when daddy called you and said, come home, um, firstly, that's awesome because I think, um, I always say this on this podcast, our dad was very, um, we were kind of his world (laughs) in a way. So, and he couldn't stand any of us hurting, like that hurt him more. I think um, us hurting hurt him more than what we were feeling. And so it made sense that that would be a move that he would take. Mind you, he knows that there, he has, we talked about it earlier on, that he has his own discomfort around this as well. (laughs) But um, it superseded that discomfort the love superseded the discomfort. And so, yeah, I think that's something to mention. Um, Let's talk about the shame. And I think shame is mostly greeted by silence. Whenever I have felt ashamed of something or shamed by something, it was mostly rooted in secrecy, in lies or in, in silence right? Let's not talk about it. Let's never address the elephant in the room. And that creates then shame. Um, Then of course, now there's elements of paranoia. Because when you go into the next pregnancy, this is going to be playing in the back of your mind consistently, to the point where it it will create a form of, of paranoia, because it's like, I've been here before. Uh, yeah, it will be a very um, 
interesting mental dichotomy. And, um, and then of course the guilt, you mentioned how you, why did you go to the conference? Um, what could have happened? And um, maybe I shouldn't have done this, et cetera, et cetera. And then you start to guilt trip yourself. And I find it fascinating that loss and guilt are like best friends. <laughs> Like they literally like work together. Um, but then it's because there's that element of if only I had done this, right? Mm. If only, and that's where the guilt comes from, the if only. And then of course the self-imposed expectations um, about your body, about what happened to you, those would also play an element as well. You mentioned about getting back to reality going back and having to deal with with the questions right mm. and i can relate to that on some level i think one of the i talk about this in an earlier podcast where i talk about just number one not knowing what happened and then number two mm. having to explain it to people strangers when you don't even know what happened <laughs> like it, it's 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 such a very annoying very traumatic and you almost have to brace yourself uh, all the time that someone's going to ask me this question um i don't even know what happened myself but then i have to give an answer because i have to and so it's fascinating that you were less concerned about your own emotions and more about bracing yourself for the difficult questions. So then how do you brace yourself for that? In the backdrops of the shame, the paranoia, the guilt, and the self-imposed expectations, how do you then prepare? Because I'm sure like I would sit down and create answers, like possible answers. Like if someone asks me this, <laughs> this is how I will answer this question. Um, and it, again, it stems from, from not knowing what answer to give. So how do you brace yourself to face the world? And it's number one, curiosity. Sometimes it's just curiosity. Sometimes it's just cruel, cruelty. People mm. will say the most cruel things. So how do you prepare for that? How do you brace yourself for that? I think, funny enough, I, I, I actually also developed an answer. Like... Mm. If somebody asked me, oh, what happened? Mm. You know, my standard answer was the doctors don't know. It, it was just unexpected, mm. you know, because mm. if I start explaining, then I have to deal. I have to now explain all personal things that I was going through, mm. you know, mm. all these high risks or all these things that were stacked against me, so to speak, you know, mm. and it was really something that I didn't want to delve into so yes I definitely um had a standard answer for mm. everything mm. and I think I'm also that type of person where it's like you know I'd come what may I'll face mm. it head on mm. you know mm. so I just told myself that yeah come what may I'm going to face it head on mm. and deal with the awkwardness mm. as it happens you mm. know with the silences, with mm. the smiles that you never used to give me, but now come out, mm. you know, mm. <laughs> all of those things, you know, mm. I just told myself, yeah, I'm going to face it head on. Cause I mean, how do you deal with that? 
There's no uh, choice. I think there's no choice. Yeah, there's no choice. You have to deal with. Yeah, I, 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 I find it very fascinating because I am thinking now um, when I was younger, um, you guys know I've talked about like what happened or rather um, I, I can never say what happened because we'll never know, but that I did lose sight in my, in my left eye. And I remember from a young age, people would always ask me what happened, what happened? And mm-hmm. of course you being asked this, over time, like when you're younger, people are so blatant about it, like so blatant. And I remember mm-hmm. like when I used to go to, to Sunday school, like the kids would just annoy the crap out of me, like, hey, what happened? What happened? I don't know what happened. Why are you asking me? You know, and it came to a point where I remember I wrote a letter to my mom and I said, mommy, I don't want to go to Sunday school anymore. And I, it was a Sunday morning. I woke up and I was like, I just don't want to deal with the questions anymore. And especially because mm-hmm. I don't have an answer. And so it's just like, I don't want to deal with this. So I remember I wrote a, a letter to my mom, I said, mommy, I'm not going to Sunday school today. I'll go to big church with you. <laughs> and so she was like, she didn't say anything um, to my letter. We we're like, okay, we got into the Taz. We drove off to, to church. And then she was like, uh, Chima, Ndamu go to, you know, youth group, Sunday school, etc. cetera. Um, Mudonda will come in with me and mm-hmm. will come into the church with me. And so for me, because I've, I've dealt with the people over time, with the silences, with the awkwardness, over time, I notice how my responses have changed over time. So of course, as a kid, you just want to avoid it, right? You just want to run away and not have to deal with it. But like you said, as you get older, as you get more experience with how to deal with these situations, then you can just then face it fully head on. And that is with most things, I think, in life. And <laughs> I like that you mentioned the, the awkward smiles. And it's interesting because um, when you share something with someone or someone knows something very vulnerable and personal about you, your hope is that they don't they don't treat you differently. Like it's mm-hmm. really your hope because the moment they start treating you differently, it, it changes the dynamics, it changes the connection. And then it also changes how you feel about yourself at the same time. So I think um, bracing yourself to deal with those changes in your connections and in your relationships is so difficult. It really is very difficult, but you just have to then continue. You have to continue because life doesn't stop, unfortunately. Um, now, what were the questions that people asked? So you had a standard answer. It's great to have a standard answer. It's a tip to everybody out there. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you that tip. Um, it's great to have, because for the longest time, I never had an answer. And I was just like, okay, just develop one, like create. And I would even play a game with it after a while. I'd come up with insane, bizarre answers. And it became my own little game of entertainment in a way, Um, just so that I don't have to, like you said, give you the real answer. And then, then I have to process it with you, you know? And you don't deserve that. And not everyone deserves that vulnerability at the same time. So, with people you were more close to, you were more intimate with, um, what were the answers you gave and how willing were you be, well, how 
um, how were you willing to be um, in terms of the information you gave out? Because I remember, um, <laughs> I still remember it perfectly. We went to um, Brightwater Commons, right? And I think it, it had been like a few days because um, after, not even a few days, maybe like a week or so after it happened. And we were left in the car, you and I. I think Chima went in to get something. And you, you started talking and you shared like certain like snippets about how you were mm. feeling and what the process was like. And I remember, I can't even remember what I said because it's just like, you, you, you're, you're so jarred that you don't know what to say back to this person, you know? Mm. And so all you can try to do is then just number one, listen, number two, um, give, comfort in a way but I can imagine for you it's difficult because you mentioned the Facebook group earlier the support group you don't have to explain yourself with them they know what you're feeling mm. they've been through it so the comfort comes more naturally because they know what they want to hear from that experience so when it came to mm. sharing and the comfort that you were receiving from people who've never experienced this what was that like for you like how, how, how willing or how much were you willing to share knowing that they will never understand number one and knowing that the comfort that you receive will never feel enough? Yeah, it's a loaded question. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, I think um, I shared with a few people um, what actually happened. Um, because it was a handful of people who knew the struggles that I was going through in the pregnancy. Mm. Um, so I was able to share with them um, what happened and stuff mm. like that. And I'm actually grateful that none of them asked, oh, what happened? You know, because mm. that's the standard question, you mm. know, like, mm. why do you want to know what happened? <laughs> you know, I will tell you if I want to tell you mm. what happened. Mm. um so I shared with them and they were not um they just gave me space because it I, I feel like it's it's difficult mm. um to talk to someone who is in that state mm. especially when you've never been through it mm. and you can't relate mm. um the best thing is just to give an ear and a shoulder to cry on mm, mm. even to say I, I i i i i can't relate to 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 what you're saying you mm. know i don't know what you've been through you mm. know and i can't give advice mm. but i'm here you mm. know if you want to talk if you want to cry we can cry together and stuff like that so it was it was those kind of moments um, that I had um, with people mm. where they didn't need to talk. You don't need, you, you honestly don't need to give advice mm. or feel that you need to say something, you know. Mm. Sometimes you're just listening and just being there and just being a shoulder to cry on. Mm. Um, that was the best for me, I think. Mm. Um because that's how I could also 
process what I was going through because you know when you talk about it mm. and no one is giving their two cents worth of advice mm. um, you actually process it it becomes a reality if it wasn't mm-hmm. a reality before it actually mm. is hope that this has happened and um, you need to deal with it mm. 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 that's fascinating that's fascinating and I think it's again recognizing that you might not be able to relate. Um, and that, because I honestly, I remember I would sit with you and you would sometimes out of nowhere, <laughs> like you would talk about it. And I, I would literally just freeze and I would just keep quiet. Like I, because you can't really give advice if you don't know what someone is going through. It's so difficult to do so. So then all you can do is hold space for them right? To tell you their story and to say what they're feeling. Um, And so I guess the advice as as a family member of someone who I dearly love who's been through this, I would just say, just be there. Just listen. Because that's, honest to God, that's all you can do. (laughs) Like that is really all you can do. Um, So yeah, I think, I think, uh, and of course, then if you've been through it, then you can share your own experiences um, and then you can kind of live in each other's experiences. And I find with empathy, it, it's not necessarily having had to gone through the same exact thing. It's not. Mm. It's, it's, it's relating to elements of that person's story that you might have experienced as well. And that's where empathy Uh, comes from is literally trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes um, through your own experiences and then vice versa so I think that that and that's all we we really can do now um, let's talk about um, just a little bit because you touched on it uh, a little earlier Um, and I'm going to read some of the the quotes that some of the ladies mentioned Um, and then you can tell me to what degree you relate or or not relate, for example. So someone said, um, it's irrational, but there is such a deep shame attached to not being able to carry a baby to term. I don't want another baby, I want this baby. And then the next person said, I felt and feel literally broken and betrayed by my own body. So what are your thoughts? Mm. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think for me, what, um, I resonate with the most is the body. Um, Mm. I really felt betrayed eh? Mm. by, 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 by my body that, um, and I started comparing myself, you know, like, Mm. you know, women have been having kids, you know, for Mm. centuries, Mm. for whatever, you know, Others have had 11, 20, whatever the amount it is that they have, Mm. you know, and I can't even carry one, Mm. you know, like what is wrong with me Mm. that I became so obsessed with fixing every single thing that I think may have contributed, Mm. right? Mm. So, for example, I'll just mention one, like fibroids. I had a problem with fibroids during my pregnancy. Mm. And um, 
I actually went for an operation to get rid of them. Mm. And funny enough, mm. getting rid of them was not that I want to improve my quality of life. Mm. That was not the number one motivator, actually. Mm. Mm. The number one motivator was that, should I fall pregnant again? Mm. I want to make sure that I've done, I think I might have told you this, that I want mm. to make sure that I've done everything humanly possible. Mm. Create a safe environment for my baby to thrive in and actually make it. Mm. Mm. So that is what drove me to have the surgery to get the fibroids removed, mm. not because better quality of life or anything, mm. because I because I wanted to give my body a boost, you know, mm. in case I fall pregnant, that if God forbid anything happens, that is not one of, of the causes. The mm. Yes. Mm. I've dealt with that cause. It's so interesting. It's like a, a form of, number one, it's a self-imposed um, burden in a way. And number two, it's also the want for control. Because I think what people don't realize is that when something happens to your body that is not within necessarily your control, mm. you, you, you develop this obsessive need to control what you can right mm. because you you feel so powerless when it happens that you like this i never want to feel this powerless again so then it it come it becomes this thing of what can, what is in my hands what is in my power how can i mitigate that and it also ties into the guilt as well uh, of saying, if I had just done this differently, could this have been a different outcome? And mm. it, it's, it's such a tormenting cycle. Um, its intentions are good, like its intentions are good, but its mental toll is very, very painful because it, it's, it, it brings up that paranoia that I was talking about. Because when, when you do fall pregnant again, it's going to be playing consistently at the back of your mind. What else could mm. I have done to mitigate this? Did I do enough to mitigate this? And so it, it becomes this endless cycle of, of just trauma in a way. And um, oh, my goodness, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's really a lot. But I do think that it's also a form of empowerment at the same time because you are saying that when it does happen, and it's a form of self-protection, that when it does happen, it's not because I didn't do my part. Yeah. It's not because I didn't do enough. And that stems from the guilt and the shame mm. as well. Mm. So, yeah, okay, um, let, let's continue. Um, we're gonna talk about, um, the body, the physical body. You mentioned that, of course, you, your body had started to change. You developed the, the black stretch marks. You, you developed all the physical elements of someone who is expecting, right? And mm -hmm. the people around you already know that you are indeed expecting. But then mm -hmm. what happens is that you leave the hospital, your body stays exactly the same. But like you said, 
you don't have anything to show for it and people can be really cruel like people can be so tone deaf like you mentioned earlier like why do you want to know what happened and I feel like some people don't even know why they want to know they just want to ask and it's like mm. sometimes you really need to consider the depths of your question before you go ahead and do so because you really don't know the trauma attached to that question that you just so casually and cavalierly throw out into the world mm. you know mm. okay so I found this incredible um kind of like a representation. So we'll start off with um, the body and then how people can then respond to that. So it says after a miscarriage, the body grieves. Depending on the length of the pregnancy, the body may continue to look pregnant after it is not. Living in a no longer pregnant body, longing to be looking like you are is a complex aspect of pregnancy loss that gets lost in conversations surrounding grief. Now, I remember you once told me that um, the, like people would say, oh, are you pregnant? Or are you pregnant with twins? Or something like that, right? And mm. <laughs> I swear to God, people need to stop doing that. <laughs> like this, if you take away anything from today's podcast, don't ask people inappropriate questions because you really don't know what they're going through. And then also um, some of the more well-meaning things, right? Uh, I'm going to read um, a portion from, from the research and it says, but because the loss can be so great, people said they wished other others would acknowledge a miscarriage without reverting to a laundry list of well-intentioned, but actually very hurtful lines. Well, at least you know you can get pregnant, being one of them. Um, you can always try again. Um, if you adopt, then you'll get pregnant. It happens for a reason, it's God's plan. Now, when you were going through the aftermaths, what were some of the things, number one, that you had to deal with with your body? And number two, the reactions from people things that people said do you recall any of those experiences okay um I think the biggest thing for me with regards to my body was my stomach mm. and um the stretch marks um I remember my mom actually gave me like a belt mm. and she said you know if you tie this um it will help Mm. you know um with, with with the with the stomach because mm. um I don't know there's some muscles in the stomach that need to come together first before you start doing sit-ups because if you do sit-ups it's pointless because the muscles are not together first mm. and then um I I tried the belt thing it wasn't working and then um I went on to Facebook and I searched and there was this binder, a body binder. I've still mm. got it. Mm. Um, I started using that. Mm. And I would pull it like it, it like you, you can pull the belts like to the extreme length where you literally have bound your stomach that you can't breathe. Wow. Like when you take it out, you actually have the lines mm. to show that this is where it was bound. And I would do that, you know, mm. just to, just so that I don't have to answer those questions, mm. you know, mm. and just because I didn't want to be reminded mm. of this huge ass stomach 
Mm-hmm. Um, that is is a reminder of 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 what I've gone through, and I, mm-hmm. and I also started concoctions for the mm-hmm. stretch marks mm-hmm. on my stomach as well. Um, to make sure that the stretch marks um, disappear so mm. that every time I look myself in the mirror, I'm, I'm not reminded, you know, mm. of, 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 of what had been. Mm. So I think I also put my, my body through a lot during, mm. um, during that time just to get it back to look normal mm. and not look so pregnant so that I don't have to deal with unnecessary questions, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, coming back as well, like to things that people would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember she, this poor lady, um, <laughs> she didn't have, <laughs> she, she had no cooking clue what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember it was um, in July, I'd gone back to work mm-hmm. and um, it was, the interim period i work in finance mm. so we've got half year um audits or half year reporting mm. so um i was walking out of the office very late mm. i think around 10 o'clock or something and uh i was wearing a, a, a figure hugging dress mm. i don't know why i decided to do that but <laughs> anyway i mm. did that mm. and obviously you can see the well-rounded stomach mm. it's there Mm. And she was like to me, she was like, oh, my goodness, you're knocking off so late. Mm. Isn't that one inside tired? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And I was like, he'll be okay. Mm. And then I just walked away. Wow. Wow. (laughs) because <laughs> why do I say I mean it obviously shows that you've been pregnant or you are pregnant mm. one of the two you mm. know mm. and then um some other things that some people have said I remember somebody was like um don't worry you know mm. God will bless you with plenty more children mm. and and then um someone I was very shocked that this actually came from somebody who had experienced a loss as well and mm. uh, they were saying that you know um you should you, you should try for another child wow. um, when you're pregnant it will help you forget the pain of losing the first one I know wow. that it helped me mm. and I was like whoa <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm I'm not trying to replace the first one, Mm. you know, Mm. it it will never go away. That is my first child, you Mm. know, Mm. no one may know about it. And I don't think that having another one is going to make me forget my first Mm. child Mm. and stuff like that. And um, I think one other thing that has been dropped a lot of time. I actually want to caution women mm. um, to stop saying these things because they are very, very hurtful things, especially mm. to other women. I remember there was a conversation going on and then I chimed in. It was about children. Mm. And then um, this other person was like, um, you don't know the pain of giving birth. So why are you talking? Wow. Whoa. And I was like, 
okay, lady, you know, like you don't know me, you know, like... and, and you don't know what I've been through for you to be saying such things. So I feel like women as well, we are our own worst enemies. Mm. Um, so for me, I think I've just, I've, I've shied away from speaking, from even have put, having any input about kids, you know, mm. when it comes to kids. And I find myself in a social scene mm. and they're talking about children. I just keep quiet mm. because I don't want to have to be reminded mm. of what I've been through. And you find such insensitive comments People. always mm. coming through. And the worst part, they come through from women. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that is the worst part. Wow. I think, cheese. Um, <laughs> It's, it's actually just, I would say, trying to be conscious of the people around you. Because, I mean, like, for example, the woman who said that, I'm guessing she's saying that knowing that you don't have a, a child, right? So then she thinks a that child. a living yes. child. So she thinks then she can say that. But you absolutely know the pain of, of giving birth and you know the pain of giving birth to someone who you can never really meet or parent. And I feel mm. like it goes to insensitivity. I think we are living, and you're very right, women can be the most insensitive because a lot of the times these conversations are not happening around men. They're happening around mm. other women. And mm. um, so now your experience is now almost negated from the conversation um, based on what she thinks the the perfect imagery of how a pregnancy would occur occurs well, how a child is either here or not and I feel like that's so problematic like so problematic I think the the lady with the with uh, in the elevator or by the elevator she was I mean albeit well-meaning but again it's just to show that we just have to be so conscious about the words we throw out in conversations, especially with things that are so touchy and so personal, because I'm sure you went home that day thinking, oh my God, okay, that's a trigger. Now I have to, you know, be triggered again. And um, it's interesting with, with the belt because I never knew about the belt. Um, mm. Again, it, it goes back to, to the elements we're talking about earlier, the, 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 the need for the control, right? Because now you're like, I don't want to answer these questions. Um, I don't want to deal with it right now myself. So I will put my body through this so that I don't have to, to, to deal with that. And it's, it, it's, again, it highlights just how indeed traumatic this experience is and how many steps of processing you actually go through like you don't wake up and you're okay one day you know mm. it's it's different steps of healing of processing that you move through until you get to a point I remember I don't know who said this but like they said you know you've uh, overcome something if you don't cry every time you talk about it like uh, or if you don't cry every time you think about it for example and I think that um, it's a long process. And we're gonna talk a little bit, with, I mean, we touched on this about grieving and, and mourning, right? Um, mm -hmm. I guess the question then would be, 
how do you mourn because you mentioned about daddy and how you wish you you had that closure of seeing him for the last time and then you wish you you would have seen your baby for the last time but with dad there's this experience attached to it right there's this there's a history a long 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 history but with uh, a miscarriage the experience is yes there's an experience to that there's the experience of finding out there's the experience of visiting the obgyn the experience of getting excited and getting ready and preparing and looking at strollers and stuff right and mm-hmm. but then it's so difficult then to to mourn and grieve what was never there to say like if we if we are abstractively saying it dad was physically there there's memories attached there's history attached um but it's still a loss so losing um your baby is a loss losing your dad is a loss how have you found these two losses um to be similar and also to be different and how have you navigated these these two losses has has it been a similar experience or did you find that it was a little bit different Hmm. Okay. So I think um ugh, with the baby there are still uh, some reminders. I mean, mm. I still have a picture of that pregnancy test. Mm. Um I still have sonas. Um I still um have pictures of when I was pregnant. Mm. Um I gave him a name. Mm. Um I mean on 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 the day of that he left this mm. planet mm. i still remember the day um mm. and um i talk about it with my husband so mm. i mean he listens and what not mm. and i think the greatest because i'm it's just memories you know mm. that I, i i live on and i think the biggest reminder is the house that we currently in because mm. um, this house was bought because of him mm. you know mm. um my husband and I are living in a huge ass house right now mm. huge yard that mm. we have no use for but when this house was bought it was bought because of him mm. so that house is so the house is also a great um reminder so mm. i think also um with losing my dad mm. um it was it, it it's the memories that mm. i i live with that help mm. me um cope you know mm. with the loss mm. i remember when i went to mpumalanga um i mean all i spoke about was him because mm. i feel like everywhere i had been I went I had been with him mm. you know I had mm. been there before with him and I actually had a memory of something he would have done or something he would have said mm. you know mm. so that helped me to 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 that that is helping me to cope with what I am going through mm. and I think um the similarities as well is the the closure the mm. fact that I didn't get to see my dad Um, mm. I yeah I have to know that we buried him because mm. I mean he's obvious he's not here anymore mm. he's gone mm. um and because of how he passed away 
we were not able to go have that final view, you know, mm. to see the body that, oh, these are his mortal remains. Mm. And also with the baby, I also, but this was by choice. I chose mm. not to see him. Mm. So I don't have that last view mm. of both of them, you know, etched mm. into my mind as to how this is how they look like before they left this earth or before they were buried, you know, mm. and stuff like that. And um, I think I can't say that with my dad right now, I've just been on autopilot. Mm. I'm trying to deal with the emotions. I mean, I, I, I've been uh, to, 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 to counseling mm. and I think with him, it, 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 it's different because I had known him for all 33 years of my life. Mm. That is such a long time. It's a time. lot of history. It's really a lot of history, you know? Mm. He, was, he was there mm. for a lot of, a lot of things. And mm. then um, with my baby, it, mm. it's, it was just movements, you mm. know? Like, mm. Him, if, because, because funny thing, his dad used to speak to him like every day he would be back, mm. you know? Mm. And um, funny thing, like if he heard the dad's voice, mm. there would be movement, you know, mm. stuff like that, mm. you know. Mm. But you don't know this person; you have never seen mm. this person mm. before. Mm. So it's yeah, it's 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 just different. And mm. with that sense, with with losing the pregnancy, I mean, I didn't necessarily go for. For, for counseling you know mm, because mm. there wasn't so much I would say drama around it with my mm. dad's passing there was a lot of drama so oh, I yes. needed mm. I needed to cope because there was just too much to mm. deal with mm. and with him it was private mm. let's put it that way it mm. was private so I could deal with my emotions by myself mm. you know? but mm. with my dad it wasn't so private private mm. yeah interesting I, I actually i find it so fascinating because loss we always think of loss as um like a final complete form of something and you actually as you experience different losses over time you actually start to realize that loss is actually on a spectrum it's still loss like the the, mm. the feelings of grief and loss will of course be there but it's nuanced and it happens in such different ways and and then coping with different forms of losses comes with its own you know toolbox of things that you have to deal with so it's mm. it's 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 quite complicated like i've been learning a lot about loss um and then Lo the loss of my dad re-triggering other losses that I've ignored for a long time. So it becomes, mm. it becomes loss awakens things, like it puts things into perspective and mm. you, you cannot ignore it. It's like, it's like a raging wave and it takes you with you. It, it takes it and you cannot ignore it. And I think that is the most difficult thing that I've learned uh, about loss and it's an, it's really truly an ongoing process now you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that you you would talk to your husband about it 
So we're gonna, this is our last topic for the day. We're gonna talk about support systems and, and communication, right? Earlier mm -hmm. on, you mentioned that the two of you uh, kind of dealt with it separately, but also like you mentioned that you would talk about him um, during you know the anniversary of his birth, for example, and your husband will listen, right? But it's mm. so interesting because there is this um, weird mental, it's very strange what happens because, and with you guys, it's even more fascinating because your excitement stemmed from his excitement. But mm. what happens now is that the loss, yes, it's, it's both of y'all's loss, but there's almost this um, disconnect because to you, it's very personal. It happened to your body, to your being. But with him, it's like he's spectating. He's watching it mm. from the outside, looking in. But it's still a loss at the same time. And it, it brings me back to what you said when you were like, you were so mad at him that why did he fall asleep? Because it's almost like you couldn't fall asleep. I, like you were going through that. Like, I wish I had been able to go to sleep too you know and but he could and it just shows the distinctiveness of the experience that you could not fall asleep because this was happening to your actual being and I find it so interesting then how do couples navigate that but before we get into that I just want to read this um it's um, there seems to be an air we've talked about this of secrecy and silence around miscarriages um, this is rooted, like we said earlier, in shame, the shaming of women's bodies and their pain. Um, the stigma creates an inefficient support structure in a support system. Women who have miscarriages don't know how to ask for help uh, or um, what they need. And those around them don't know how to offer help uh, or talk about it. This culture of silence is breeding hurt and pain and shame and leaving women feeling extremely lonely during one of the most difficult moments in their lives. Now, some of the, the experiences that other women mentioned, um, one woman said, it's, a biz it's bizarre that the topic is so taboo. Um, I really feel an obligation now, having had a miscarriage to mention my miscarriage when I'm talking about fertility or the process of conceiving or childbirth. It reminds me when you were talking that now you stay away from those conversations when people talk about children, right? Um, mm. And how I think maybe there is a bit of a responsibility um, for women who've been through miscarriages to insert themselves into that narrative. Is it going to be really difficult? Yes. Um, is it going to be maybe a bit awkward where people don't know how to act or respond? Yes. But I think things become less awkward the more they're brought to the table, the more they're talked about. So I understand the need to remove yourself from the conversation, but I also see the importance of inserting yourself into conversations like that as well. Um, okay, I'm going to continue. It says, I felt alone until I realized there's this big secret miscarriage club, one that nobody wants to be a member of. And when I realized it existed, I felt angry that no one told me they had active membership. Many women in my family had suffered one or more, and I had no idea until I had one myself. Okay, so the question here, the first question that I'll ask is, 
we talked about the silence around miscarriages and the, the, the want to not talk about it. What role do you think women have in bringing this topic to the forefront, in bringing it to the discussion table? Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm hitting you with loaded questions today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it's, I think in general, it needs to be part of um, the discussions around pregnancy as well, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. yes, it starts off as a pregnancy, mm -hmm. but it becomes a loss of a pregnancy. It doesn't realize into the birth of a live child, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I feel like when 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 pregnancy is discussed or anything is written about pregnancy anyway mm. it's always the the positives mm. you know mm. it's nine months of great bliss and then at the end you have a baby mm. no one writes about hey it starts off like this in some instances mm. and then there are actually those factors that can happen to certain pregnancies and it actually doesn't result in a full live birth. Mm. You know, no one talks about that when they talk about pregnancy. Mm. So, uh, so it's, it's, it, it comes through a lot with the writings, with the mm. conversations, mm. with with how even um, I remember when I was reading up about uh, about pregnancies, all these books that I bought and everything, mm. none of them mentioned anything about a miscarriage. Wow. None of them. None Not of even them. the possibility. No. Oh, my God. That how like that is a possibility. Of. Yeah, but, but it's not a possibility that's written about. You know what? It goes back to this one dimensional thing that we're doing with what we put out, right? What is put out into the world. And we touched on it a little earlier when we we're talking about the media and mainstream media. But I find it so problematic if that is occurring within books, within books yes. that are supposed to be educational preparatory for mothers to be how is that not a thing what <laughs> yes that is crazy to me so then do you think there is this um agenda almost this one-dimensional agenda because remember i always say this reminds me of the handmaid's tale society is always trying to force women to breed like it, 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 it's what we live on, right? We have, women mm. have to reproduce so that the world can keep functioning as it is. And mm. I feel like this misconstruement of knowledge and information, this one dimensional perspective is serving some form of agenda because then you as a woman just have to be like, oh, it's all bliss. It's all, oh, I'm gonna have my baby at the end so that you are not deterred from like, listen, I'm not trying to deal with this. <laughs> like, I'm, so then you might make a different decision. And I feel like women having choice and being able to make a different decision does not serve the societal agenda. And so it makes mm. sense. Oh my God. 
I'm, actually I'm telling shocked. you, and and I mean, I've had conversations with other women who've had difficult pregnancies. I had a friend who had a very difficult pregnancy. Mm. And if you ask them, are you going to have another one? No. <laughs> She's like, I'm done, thanks. Why <laughs> <laughs> would I want to go back to what I experienced? Wow. You know, I, I have a friend who almost went, she and I actually went through similar things. And mm. for her, you know, God blessed her um, mm. with, 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 a, with a normal, healthy baby mm. in the end, even mm. though during the pregnancy, things were not looking like that. Mm. But trust me, it's not somebody who wants to go back and go through that again because they went through so much, mm. but they make pregnancy look like bliss. I mm. remember the other, the, the other, uh, there was this other lady who was actually telling me that um, her, her one leg is no longer the same size as the other one. Yes. I, and like the actually, foot, not the leg, the foot. Yes. It's no longer the same size. <laughs> there there like, was actually this thread that I, I think I might have shared it on my Facebook where women were sharing some of the most traumatic experiences that happened to their body that people don't talk about. A lot of women in the thread mentioned how they went blind for like a year or two years and their sight just came back out of nowhere or how their teeth fell out or how their feet were so swollen that they couldn't move or walk. And it's like, yes. where is this narrative? <laughs> talk about it. This lady was parking in the disabled parking at work because she couldn't walk from the underground parking in oh. to work because her feet were so swollen. She was wearing flip-flops mm. to work because her feet, her, her foot did not fit in her normal shoes anymore. And after that, her foot never went back to normal. <laughs> like she wears two different size shoes right now. It's actually, it's like, I feel like it's purposeful. At this point, if, because uh, we talked about mainstream media, I get that they have certain agendas. But educational books and content, and they don't mention miscarriages or side effects. That to me is wow. I'm shocked. Joe, okay. Yeah, I I, I did not come through the, across that. I I had to intentionally seek it out. Seek yeah, it Google. out. Yes. A miscarriage. What is happening? It would not be dropped there in, in, in some healthcare book for and women. It happens so often. How? Yes. Wow. Okay. Ah, okay. Let's move on because I'm I'm shook right now, but <laughs> let's continue. Um, so we're gonna segue into the, the partner, right? And I kind of introduced it a little earlier on. Um, but I'm going to read this from the NPR. All my quotes right now are coming from the NPR uh, survey and research. And so this is what they said. So based on the survey by the NPR, several of the respondents said this code of silence was even stronger for the partners of women who miscarry. One respondent wrote that her husband had hopes and dreams and fears and so much joy tied up into 9.5 weeks of cells, but he didn't get time off work, flowers or well wishes from colleagues or visits from friends to listen to him cry as she did. Instead, he had to suffer alone. And I find that 
based on the pictures we've painted, this makes sense. Like this, this is an expected outcome of everything that we've built up to till now. That mm. if, if the woman herself has no voice, has the, cannot talk about what happened to her, I can imagine men feeling like they know they've lost, but it's like, who am I then to talk about it? And that's so painful. Like I can only imagine how painful that is because you cannot talk about your loss. Um, and then you have to support your partner at the same time. So how would you say you and your husband dealt with the loss? And in hindsight, because we love hindsight 2020 here, in hindsight, <laughs> <laughs> what would you have done differently if you could go back? Um, I'll be honest, I think we dealt with it very differently because mm -hmm. um, he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know what I was going, what he was going through. Mm -hmm. And um, he's not a very talkative person. Mm -hmm. So he's not the type that is going to come and tell you openly about what he's going through he's not like me mm -hmm. so you really have to dig and dig and dig you know mm -hmm. and um because I tried I think I tried a lot to make him feel that he was part of it I mean like I mentioned he was more excited than me when um we found out and he made sure even though he worked far away that he was there for every doctor's appointment mm, mm. talk to that baby inside the stomach so mm. I can imagine that he went through a lot mm. himself as mm. well because he also had hopes and aspirations mm. for that child mm. just like I had those same hopes and aspirations but as to how he dealt with it I can't say I fully know because mm. during that time it was not something that he would talk about you know like he would mention it randomly and stuff mm. like that but it's not something that he would we would sit down and he would come to me and be like you know I'm hurt because mm. xyz didn't happen you know mm. I had this and this and this planned for this person and 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 whatever so mm. I think dealt with it separately mm. we grieved separately mm. and then when we did talk mm. we would talk about it together and it would normally be me bringing up the topic mm. or randomly mentioning something mm. but I feel that um, we should have dealt with it together I think I was also selfish in a way that I felt that I'm going through this it's my body that's going through mm, this mm. So I'm dealing with this you mm. don't really relate to what I'm going through but mm. yes he can't relate it's not his body but he lost something mm, absolutely someone mm. you know that he was looking forward to meeting you know mm. he lost a part of him Mm, you know, mm. someone who's going to carry his surname, mm, you know, mm, not mm, my surname, his mm, surname, you know, mm, to, to, to actually show that it's his child. Mm, you know? 
but um yeah we we i can't i can't say we we processed it together on that deep level mm. and in hindsight i wish we had i actually wished because i tried to google for places for grief counseling mm. for loss of a miscarriage i couldn't find any i really really couldn't find any it's loss or grief of a person you've known you know mm. all your mm. life or something like that mm. so not of a miscarriage so i wish that we had had the opportunity to go to counseling together because mm. um because i realized when we do go to counseling that's where he opens up mm. you know he talks about what is happening i don't know if it's because he's being forced to talk about it but mm. that's where he actually opens up and you actually get to know what he's thinking and feeling yes Mm. Yes. so in hindsight I wished we'd actually seeked out a couple of counseling sessions and gone Mm. to them yeah Mm. I think it's it's I mean hindsight is everything um and it's I always think it's never too late like trauma is trauma and it can always be addressed no matter how much time has passed and in fact, I think the more time that passes with trauma, the more hindsight you have. So that's why earlier I mentioned when you're in the thick of something, it's so difficult because you are trying to navigate, you're trying to weed through things and move through things. But later on, when you go back, you see the, the bigger picture. So I do think that if, if, Um, counseling is still on the table that's something to definitely consider because I I think whenever I think about um, loss talking about it helps Um, talking about it um, it really it's freeing in a way and I think for a couple you 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 mentioned earlier we created it together right (laughs) like I, I didn't do this by myself so then it's interesting that in in the moment where you're supposed to come together, um, because it's so difficult to navigate, you decided to do it separately. And I also blame the, the, the culture of silencing men's pain. We live in a culture and a society where men are not allowed to, to show pain. It's, it's regarded as weakness. It's regarded as... Um, not masculine or not manly. So we have a lot of men walking around with intense amount of trauma and they are unable to talk about it. And so Mm. what that does is that it plays out in different ways. So it plays out in violence. It plays out in in just all these different uh, avenues because it's not being processed correctly and so when 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 we talk about for example gender-based violence we know it's happening wildly in South Africa right now we're having a form of femicide in South Africa I always look back at the full psychology of it and it, it looks like we have too many traumatized men who are not been allowed to process their trauma, not been given the space the way women are given. We are almost allowed to be emotional all the time, even when it's not warranted. But men are just not given that leeway and that room. And that plays out in various, uh, very toxic ways. So I think mm-hmm. maybe this is a heed to, to our society. Like, can you just let men be human? <laughs> like, please. And also, can 
we as women can we let men be human as well and and parents and fathers of men can you tell your children your sons that it's okay to feel pain it's okay to cry it's okay to say when you are hurting because it it seems generational cyclical men who were raised that way raised their sons that way who raised their sons that way and i've seen the cycle is starting to break uh, especially with the younger men who are having kids now the millennials and the gen zers but it's it's long overdue it's long overdue mm-hmm. honestly but you know what funny thing is that um I think with men themselves as well, because I remember when I went back to work, there was a mm. colleague of mine. Mm. Um, he came to talk to me and he said um, him and his wife had a miscarriage, right? Mm. Um, mm. She was pregnant. And then one day they went to the gynae and the heartbeat had stopped. Mm. It wasn't beating anymore. And mm. he said, um, if I want to talk, he can give me her numbers and she can talk to me. Mm. and I'm like but you went through it yourself Mm. why don't you talk Mm. about it Mm. you know but Mm. it it, it's crazy that he felt that it's not appropriate for him to talk to me about it Mm. you'd rather refer his wife Mm. you know because I'm sure she can better relate to you than I can relate to you about what you're going through Mm. but you also experienced a loss as well exactly exactly but it's almost that that he himself doesn't feel that he should be in the position to talk about it and so mm-hmm. that is it's that's so bad <laughs> I, I usually don't like using words like good or bad because that's like neanderthal words but like it's just so bad <laughs> it's so bad and i i feel like um imagine the conversation that you could have had with him that would have helped you better understand what your husband was going through which Mm. would have helped you be able to connect with him in that space Mm. but it was almost like women deal with women men deal with men and that's Mm. not how making babies work it takes a man and a woman you know and I feel like yes there are certain things we can relate to on a woman to woman basis on a man to man basis but it, it, it affects all parties involved at the end of the day. So, oh, that's just so tragic. Like, <laughs> it's just so sad. Okay, um, let's move on. Uh, thank you for your blatant honesty and willing to, willingness to, to share and be so vulnerable uh, in something that is extremely, extremely um, traumatic and extremely painful. So, kudos to you sissy kudos to you okay we're going to end off we talked about highlighting shining a light on all elements of pregnancy right not pushing this one-dimensional narrative that seems to be going on out there Um, some famous celebrities in recent years have really come out and been like y'all need to stop with this like bliss pretty image that you people are are trying to push out there right Mm. um one of them was gabrielle union who shared the the experience and the traumas she went through in number one trying to conceive and also the sexual assaults that she went through when she was a teenager as well 
and how mm. that played and, and stayed and plagued her for, for years and years. And she talked about uh, going through nine miscarriages um, before she was able to conceive with uh, Duane uh, through uh, a surrogate pregnancy, right? Mm. And just how this idea that all pregnancies are the same and dismantling that myth because it's not true and it's not real. And I feel like when powerful figures like a Gabrielle Union or a Michelle Obama comes out and says, I had to use IVF to get pregnant. It, it wasn't mm. all roses and gold, you know, come out and say this, it creates a platform. When you watched the, uh, and she also talked about the, the, um, the biological aspects. So she talked about endotromitis and fibroids and how these actually tend to affect black women more and women of color more than they do other women and how it's just not something that's talked about within a, in our society. When you mm. started hearing these powerful women talk about something that you've been through, how did that make you feel? For me, I was... For me, it was like, finally, mm, you know, mm. um, a sigh of relief, you know, mm. finally, somebody is actually speaking about the truths of pregnancy, you know, mm. real mm. pregnancy, and mm. shedding a light on it, you know, mm. that it's not all roses out there, you mm. know, people are going through a lot, mm. you know, when you see them get to where they are, mm. they have been through a lot you mm, know mm. and just creating that awareness because you find that there are people who would have maybe what you consider an easy pregnancy mm, you know mm. and they just assume that it's mm. like that for everyone mm. yeah but they've women who've almost lost their lives mm. Mm. women who have lost their lives mm. you know because of this and mm. um just people getting educated and people just acknowledging mm. and having that knowledge as well. I think mm. for me that, that that's what I was very happy about, you know, and it gets the conversations going as well. Mm. You know, mm. Talking about reproductive health, mm. you know, mm. talking about healthy pregnancies, talking about pregnancies that are complicated, mm. talking about pregnancies that don't end in life births, mm. you know, putting mm. a light on that, getting the conversations going. Mm. But then again, it's, it, it comes to our women willing to talk about that. That's you know, the thing. Willing to put themselves out there and, mm. and, and talk about it. You know, mm. you could say, yeah, it's easy for them. Actually, mm. you could oh. say it's easy for them because they're celebrities, mm. you know, mm. and whatnot. No matter what they say, everybody's going to be all in awe of it, or everybody's going to listen or mm. pay attention. Mm. And if I speak about it, I'm probably going to get mm. judged mm. Or, or ignored. Or, or, or ignored. Yes. Mm. Mm. yes. Yeah. I think it, it goes back to what we said about throwing the first stone. And it, it goes back to, to, to shame. And I think if we can remove 
the the stigma, the taboo, and just have raw, honest, vulnerable conversations in general, like in general, like this podcast is called Blunt and No Not Weed is because I woke up one day and decided I'm so tired of pretending I'm okay. Like I'm tired of pretending that life is great and everything's roses and that we are all doing great. And I think mm. if you if we can just acknowledge that that's not how life plays out, then we can start to have more honest conversations with each mm. other and with the people around us. Because you're right, people are suffering. People are suffering and they don't know where to go, who to talk to, how to share their experiences because of the shame that is associated with it. So that sigh of relief, when you were like, oh my God, finally, it's like opening the, the window to an air shut room. It's a form of relief. And I think mm. it, it takes, it's all our responsibilities at the end of the day. It's, 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 it's our responsibility as women who've never been through a pregnancy or who've never uh, had a miscarriage to want to hear the stories of people who have and try to understand. And then it's the responsibility of women who have been through miscarriages or difficult pregnancies to be willing to be vulnerable. Like I always say on this podcast, vulnerability is not easy. <laughs> it's so difficult because there is that fear of rejection, the fear of being ignored, the fear that my pain will not be recognized, right? But I also feel like just by putting yourself out there, um, it releases something in you. It doesn't matter who receives it, how they receive it. It's your own release at the end of the day. So even yes, with celebrities, they do have bigger platforms. And so people will most likely listen to them. But I think it's more daunting as a celebrity to come out and say it because your platform is so much bigger. You're not saying it to people who love you and you love them. You get what I'm saying? So there's a, a different level of vulnerability to that. But talking to your mom about it or talking to your sister about it or talking to a friend about it, they, it's, it's a lot easier there because there is that intimacy already that you can, you know will shield you, will offer you some form of, of protection, you know? And so I think it's, it's really at the end of the day, all our responsibilities to bring these very uncomfortable, very awkward, very painful conversations to the discussion table and talk about it. And mm. yeah, so I am so grateful that you were willing to do this because there are people who know you who might not know that this is something you went through and people like in your actual life like who know you and not understand the full spectrum of everything you went through. But with mm -hmm. this, they can relate to you better as a full human being with full experiences. And then also you feel lighter at the end of the day as well. So yeah, thank you, Stacey. <laughs> For, for being one of the first people to throw the stone, you know, and that's how it starts at the end of the day. So thank you. Thank you very much. Cool. <laughs> now, before we finish um, and we wrap up, um, 
Is there anything or any words of comfort um, or perspective that you would give out to someone who is going through what you went through right now? That is their reality right now. What would you say to that person? What would you want to say to that person? Or what would you even want to say to yourself uh, in hindsight now to that person? Mm. For me, I think don't be hard on yourself. Mm. You know, um, these things do happen. Mm. And... um, yeah don't be hard on yourself that's all I'm going to say <laughs> like don't beat yourself up too hard <laughs> yes too hard yeah don't don't mm. and also another thing don't let fear hold mm. you back from living your life because mm. I remember after that miscarriage I told the doctor mm. you better put me on contraceptives mm. right now Mm. because god forbid that fear is there Mm. it's still raw god Mm. forbid i have to fall pregnant i am not going through this again Mm. Mm. you know i am not going through that again i need to deal with 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 certain things so 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 that that fear Mm. took over as well so Mm. don't be scared Mm. don't be scared your life is there Mm. to live to the fullest and don't be hard on yourself I think that's yeah death has made me realize that you need need to live your life Mm. yes it 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 happened Mm. you don't know then the the next uh the next pregnancy Mm. could be different but Mm. don't let that stop you from living your life if you want to be a mom or Mm. if you want to have kids again Mm. then 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 go ahead and 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 do it Mm. you know don't let that fear hold you back wow absolutely and i would just add to that to the not don't be hard on yourself the opposite of not being hard on yourself is to pour a little bit of kindness to yourself. I find that we, we easily give kindness to other people, but we beat ourselves up so hard. So I would also add, be kind to yourself. As you were speaking, mm. I just thought of a, a Jim Carrey quote that I, I love. Um, let's see if I can find it. Mm. It's about fear. And I find it so, it says, um, don't ever let fear turn you against your playful heart. So don't ever let fear turn you against, like Namu said, living your life, living your life fully, uh, because it will, if you allow it to. And of course, in the midst that makes no sense. <laughs> like <laughs> I actually realized with, with, with loss, um, in anything anyone says just does not make sense to you at the moment. But in hindsight, mm. you'll be able to look back and be like, okay, I understand that. And if you just keep it in your heart, as you are being fearful, 
and making decisions based on that fear, let that play in your mind so that you make a different decision um, at that. So yeah. All right, Sissy, I think we can end here for today. I just want to say thank you again for coming and taking the time. Um, I want to thank our listeners for listening and for uh, giving Damu space uh, and holding space for her to have this conversation. And I hope that it will make uh, everybody, each one of us, more aware, more sensitive, and more willing to engage in these kinds of conversations. Um, with that said, I will see you guys in the next podcast. Uh, so cheers, guys. Bye. Say bye, Ndamu. Bye, everyone. Thank you for affording me the opportunity to share my story with you guys. Yay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> bye.